your card there when the service is over. And we, I'd love to connect with you sometime, uh, you know, just maybe give you a call or connect with you. If you'd like that, you can kind of check that off. We'd probably call you anyway if you write something down just to say thanks for coming, that kind of thing, but no pressure. Um, but we just want to make sure that we uh, have a, a record that you were here and just encourage you and let you know how much we appreciate you being here. So if uh, you're here for the first time, if you do that, that would be wonderful. We have a very special gift set aside for you as well when you do that. Um, also, not really announcements, but... You know, I, I spent the last um, uh, since Wednesday in Mexico, got in Mexico, um, into Mexico on Wednesday of this week, and I was called by our staff down there. Uh, my wife and I started back-to-back ministries, and I'm still the president of back-to-back ministries, and I love being uh, still a part of that incredible ministry that we started in 1996. And I did something this week that I hadn't done before. I usually go down with a group or something and participate and get involved in everything. And I go to board meetings and, you know, help set direction and things like that. But this time they called and asked if I would come down and just minister to the staff and just bring, sorry, bring some, you know, bring some uh, talks down. And what I did was I took, uh, I want to be where the rain ends, the talks that we did a few months back. And I brought that down with me in a big book and I, I pretty much uh, fire hose them in two days when I give you guys in like two or three months. So I spoke probably five or six times to them on that subject and uh, over Thursday and Friday and flew back yesterday. But I had a chance to really invest in them in, in just enrichment, uh, teaching, training, counseling, washing their feet, literally um, doing, uh, you know, communion with them and just investing in their lives. So it was like sun up to sundown just investing in their lives. And you would be so proud. We have about 50 staff in Mexico right now, uh, incredible people who love Jesus with all of their hearts. And they're doing such an amazing job. And just an encouragement. This is why I want to talk to you, because you don't, you don't get to hear these things, and you need to hear them. Our ministry in Mexico is so dynamic right now, and we've been there for so long. We've done such an incredible, exceptional job with orphan care and taking care of those in need that the government there in the state is now working with back-to-back to set up, um, to set up a kind of a structure of how, how children's homes, orphanages, should be run. The government was getting frustrated with what was happening in some other homes, and they came along with back-to-back and said, help us set up criteria for how these should be run. The government orphanages are now sending children to our campus because we have... We have children's home called the Hope Program, and the teenagers come in, and we put them through PREPA, which is 11th and 12th grade, end of high school, and then they can get their, their bachelor's degree, all paid for. The kids are coming out of the children's home. They come into our homes with house parents, maybe eight or ten kids per home. They go to school. They can get their, their bachelor's degree. They can go and get their master's degree if they wanted to. It's all paid for. And the government is now asking. They were kind of trying to get in on this, and we were saying, well, you know, we need to focus on our groups but now we're allowing government to, to uh, we can handpick different students within those children's homes or orphanages. And so we're partnering with them. But, but to have a Christian organization to be in a situation where we can help set direction in politics or in the social areas, that's what, that, that, my friends, is changing culture. That's influencing culture. To do something so dynamic that they come to you and ask, for your advice and for your help, and could we do something? There's nothing else like what we're doing in Monterey anywhere else in the country. And so to be down there and to invest in their lives and to minister to them and counsel, it was just such a great... I'll tell you, I think I got more out of it than they got out of it. 
Because we talk about, you know, at Grace Chapel, our vision is to be a global community of Christ followers, awakening imagination, igniting passion, and unleashing purpose. And so if we look at the global side, that's kind of the update on some of the things that are going on in the global side. I, uh, I want to plan, if we could, a, a missions trip as a whole church to go down there, because you have to see some of the things that we're doing. It, I could sit here for, for four hours and, and have you in tears of the lives that are being changed and the facilities that are being built are second to nothing in the country. And I, I was in one that just started building, and I sat there and I thought to myself, now, I would never want to be in a children's home. If, I'd rather grow with parents. But if I had to be in a children's home, I'd want to be in one where there's this gorgeous facility sitting next to it, a huge pool that I can swim around in as a kid. You know what I mean? And then all kinds of other things. It was just incredible, the kinds of facilities and the, the people that we have work in these facilities. We take kids from birth and what we do is until they can leave the nest and fly, and that means graduate from college, those children help for today and hope for tomorrow. We're taking the least of these and bringing them up in that culture to be in a place where they can be influencers. And it was amazing to, to invest in the lives of the staff there because they are incredible, incredible people. Incredible. All right. Now, globally, locally, locally. And I'm going to preach. But I, I gave myself some time here. Um, and because we need you guys need to be totally engaged in this. You need to know what's going on every step of the way. So this is not the last time we're going to be talking about this. I want to keep you completely engaged and updated. OK, locally, we have to finish off this campus. You know, part of the we live in a we, we, we are in Mason. You know, our church is in Mason and uh, and we have this wonderful campus that God has given us in downtown Mason. And we've really transformed this campus from kind of pretty much an eyesore of downtown Mason uh, to, I think, something really nice. You know, and I, we're getting there. We still have a couple of places on the campus that are an eyesore. And one of them is right down here where all the gravel and all the stuff is sitting out uh, within the next two months, though. That will probably be the nicest looking place on our campus. We're going to put a deck out there. That will be the main entrance, okay? The main entrance to the back section of, the, of our Grace Impact Center. So there'll be a deck where you can sit and wait for your parents to pick you up. There'll be some landscaping there. There'll be ramps that go into the two glass, the nice glass doors. So it'll, it'll transform that. Even before that, though, a lot of people have said, I said, if we could do, if you could do one thing, if we could do one thing right now, what would it be to upgrade our campus? And everybody says the parking lot. I totally, totally agree. But to really get it blacktopped is going to be in the six figure range. So we're not, we want to finish off the building before we do that. But again, there are people in our church that are, uh, that do this kind of thing for a living and we've been working together. So they're working right now on getting Someone we're going to we're going to try to fix the, the potholes and whatever else is there, fix that up, have it resurfaced with that nice, you know, resurfacing black resurfacing material, have the whole thing resurfaced and then restriped. So you won't be able to tell whether it was resurfaced or, you know, the new blacktop. But right now, that'll give us probably a couple of years <clears throat> where it looks really nice. So that'll be happening. We're also going to be finishing the front section of the Grace Impact Center. That's what you see that big poster board thing out there. What we're trying to do is raise, uh, I think it's $130,000. We have uh, $40,000 pledged for the back already for as a matching grant, as a matching gift, and $20,000 pledged to the front as a matching gift. 
And last week, I think we raised nearly about $9,000 last week alone toward that project. So we're $9,000 matching, which means we have $18,000 to go toward the front of the building, which we'll finish, we'll finish it off between 40 and 40 and I know it's a big gap, 40 and $50,000, depending on the equipment that we put in there. Okay. So our goal is to really finish off that facility. So the front section, our goal is to finish off the whole front section, redone, new floor, new walls, you know, padding on the walls, all really looking nice, good basketball hoops, uh, futsal nets, all of it in there. By mid-July, it's completely finished. And the only reason I'm saying mid-July is I don't know how fast the resources are going to come in financially. And number two, it keeps raining every bloody day. So we can't get the roofers up there and we are not putting the new floor down until the roof is finished. And that's, you know, they're working on that now. Front section done by mid-July. We want the back section done by the end of October. And here's why. We have, we have groups are, that are lining up right now saying when it's finished, we would love to be able to use it. Our goal is not just to build some big building so you and I can run around and play in there. Our goal is to reach out to our community. We have right now people lined up. We'll probably have between 750 and 1,000 people a week coming here if we finish this, which we will, okay? It's a fact waiting to happen, okay? Either it gets finished or your pastor just falls over and dies, all right? That's, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm like putting my focus on this. I, I, should, I shouldn't say that because that guy did that. Well, if we don't get $5 million, I'm going to die. That's not what I mean, okay? That's not what I mean. Uh, I just, I, I'm focused on seeing that our leadership our church is focused on seeing that become a reality. If we get it finished, which we will, 750 to 1,000 people a week come on this campus. You want to talk about reaching out to our community? Our community then comes to us. And we can come up with all kinds of ways to minister to those people who are coming into this facility. You know, really just figuring out ways. How can we minister to these people who are dropping their kids off or sitting with their kids, whatever? What can we do to encourage them, support them, pray for them, whatever we can do to invest in their lives? So that's going to be. And, and the, other, the other side of that coin is that the, the groups that will come in will literally pay for um, that building. I mean, the amount of resources that will come in will help pay all the electric and the mortgage and all that kind of stuff on the building. So, you know, some dynamic things are happening and happening really soon. And what we need you to do is to continue. And I thought about this. We have a swap wall back there. And swap means sacrificing with a purpose. It means giving up something you want to make sure someone else has something they need. Well, in this case, the church needs needs to finish off that facility. We need to do that. So I want to encourage you. I would challenge and encourage you. I thought about this myself. What can I give up? I know the economic times are it's hard, but what can I sacrifice something I want, maybe a sacrifice to give okay, to this project to finish it off so that we have something we as the body of Christ have something we need. And this will not only be for other groups, outside groups to use, obviously, men's leagues, women's leagues, children's leagues. We'll have a, full, a, a soccer field, a basketball court. You know, we'll have huge facilities back there to use, a little walking track. It'll be wonderful for us to use as a church. But you think about what can I sacrifice to make that happen? And if we can, we'd like to raise the first 45 or so thousand dollars in the next couple of weeks so we can definitively say to the organization we're buying from, Bring it here on, Jan- on July, whatever, and let's get it done. Take some two days to finish the whole project off. 
So um, if you want to if you want to give this morning, people, a lot of people are asking me, I mean, the engagement of the church. I'm not up here like, come on, people, come on. I, I really don't need to do that. I mean, you're motivated. You're motivated with this. I'm trying to give you more information. But if you want to give this morning, I put those 2010 envelopes uh, on the on the uh, on the offering boxes. You can just stick your your check in the 2010 envelope or, or whatever you have. Put it in there and we'll know that's what it's for. OK, we'll keep track of that. So right now, like I said, we have about nine thousand dollars that came in. We need about twenty two total for the first for the front section. Then we need about another 40 or 50 by late October for the back section. And I'm not. I'm not really concerned that we're going to get it. I'm just excited for you and for me to see this project go forward and see the transformation of our campus. Guys, we're at a pinnacle point in our history of our church. This is going to be the greatest opportunity we have ever had in our 11 years together to truly make a difference in our community using this facility. My, when we first moved here, my wife said, you know, in Cincinnati, and she wasn't talking about our church in general. This was years ago. She said, it seems sometimes like people play God and worship sports. And the reality is, it seems that way sometimes. But here, here's the reality. If people, uh, people are, uh, really enjoy sports that much, let's use it as an opportunity for Christ to reach out to those people and minister to them and encourage them and support them in the activities they do with their families. So uh, this is just a wonderful opportunity. Okay, back now. I'll swing back around. Uh, just wanted to have that family conversation with you. Um, swing back around. We'll talk about uh, our sermon here. We're in the, we're in the midst of, a, of a, a series called Wise Up. We're going through the book of Proverbs. We're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to take themes throughout the book of Proverbs. And I don't know how many of you remember, you'd watch that video, okay, it's Secondhand Lions. Um, how many of you remember uh, all the, the, the wisdom passed on to you by your parents and your grandparents? Um, You know, I'm sure all of us recall all the collective uh, information, if if we can put it that way, all that collective wisdom, information, knowledge, whatever passed on by the significant people in our lives. You know, we're talking about teachers and and significant coaches and your parents and your grandparents and your maybe a pastor or a youth pastor or even a friend. Some relative that you have a relationship with, all that information, all that uh, a mentor passing all that special information on to you. And, and that information that they gave us, that grandfather sitting down, has shaped the way you think, much of the way you think. The people who have poured into you have shaped much of the way you think. And some of their ideas are extremely helpful. Some of their ideas are, mm, I would say, a little off base, if you will. I love the movie Secondhand Lions. Love the movie. That's one movie I could say. I'm not, I can't go through my mind every little bit of the movie, but it's a good, it's a good movie. It's a fun movie to watch um, in the Princess Bride kind of category type of deal. Just fun kind of movie to watch. But um, that movie's a great movie, but that, the, the, the advice that he was giving okay, to the younger boy, some of it was really good, but some of it wasn't so good. You know, it doesn't matter if it's true. You, you believe it anyway. I'll tell you, I'm just I'm sorry to say, but if something's not true, you really shouldn't believe it. That makes you delusional. OK, so it's, it's you know, you have to believe things that are true and that are right and that are real. But, you know, you, you kind of pick and choose from that information. We all get different information given given to us by different people. My grandfather, I remember, said 
to me when I graduated high school and I'm waiting for like, a, you know, a card or something, you know, with some, a little bit of money in it. You know, I'm sorry. I was like 17. Uh, and he, he took me by the shoulder and he took me to the side. And he said, Jeff, a rolling stone gathers no moss. I'm like, is there money coming with this? Because that just did nothing for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Grandpa, where's the card? You know? <laughs> rolling stone gathers no moss. I'm like, I guess that comes from Ireland. I have no idea what you're talking about at 17. I, st- I kind of get it now, but not completely. Maybe somebody can explain to me the, the incredible wisdom he passed on there. My mom has given me amazing information or wisdom throughout my entire life. But one of the things she did say to me was she said, she said um, don't ever take anything from anyone. Because when you take things from people, then you owe them. You owe them. And I thought, for years, I, I went by that. I wouldn't take anything from anyone. Uh, they're gonna, I'm going to owe them kind of thing. And I finally realized that came from her experience with her parents. That doesn't mean make it true. You know, it's, it's, it's good advice in some ways. We could go through Proverbs and say, you know, don't be a, you know, don't be a borrower and that kind of thing. But that's not completely true. And especially, you know, here in Cincinnati, because I've gotten a lot of gift certificates for graders and I would have missed out on those. So I was like, hey, you know, I'm not missing out. Who would miss out on graders? OK, someone hands you a gift certificate to graders. It's foolish not to take it and go eat that that black that black uh, raspberry with the with the dark chocolate. OK, that is like the finest ice cream in the history of the world. All right. So you'll be a fool to turn down gift certificates to graders. Uh, but I understood what she was saying. I, over the years, I realized the people who are giving to you in order to get something out of it and the people who are giving from the goodness of their heart. If someone's offering you something from the heart, they're not expecting anything in return. Just take it and th- say thank you. That's OK. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. I've had a, a friend one time say um, to me, um, look out for number one. Well, that doesn't work too well when you have a family looking out for number one. So you're going to get all this advice. Part of being a mature Christian is, is, is differentiating and deciphering, sorting through all those words and that advice and keeping what is wise and receiving what is wise and, and, and putting aside um, and, and rejecting the unwise or that which is foolish. Because a lot of the advice you get in life is completely and utterly unwise and completely and utterly foolish. Well, today I want to talk about um, God's wisdom in our lives. You know, this whole idea of wisdom. Because if we don't understand wisdom, we're not going to understand the rest of the book. I mean, there's a, that's part of the foundation. We're going to find out what true wisdom is, and then next week we're going to talk about how do we apply that? How do we live out that wisdom in our lives? So the first question we have to ask is, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? The dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern what is true or right. The ability to discern what is true or right. The, the English word wisdom uh, has both moral implications... To just try to figuring out what is right and intellectual implications, trying to trying to discern what is true. So we have moral and intellectual implications, right and true. The Hebrew word translated wisdom, wisdom in the Bible is more has more flavor than the English word. The Hebrew word translated wisdom usually refers to um, some kind of of skill that is that a person has or whatever, or even ability. The Hebrew word also distinguishes between wisdom and knowledge. You know, people kind of lump those two. If you're smart, people think he's smart, he's wise. But the Hebrew word distinguishes between wisdom and knowledge because a person, honestly, and you've met people like this, they can be, I mean, their minds, they have incredible minds. They know all the facts. 
but they lack authentic wisdom. They're, they're just not wise. My mom used to call it street smarts. Your, your parents ever say that? That person has, you know, your grandmother, grandfather, that person has no street smarts, they'd say. And what they were saying is that person is probably five times smarter than me, but they, they just don't have street smarts. They don't, they don't have, my, I think what my mother was really trying to say is they don't have wisdom. You know, they walk into a situation and start running off at the mouth or, or saying or doing something in, a, in the wrong place and get themselves into trouble. They have no street smarts. They don't have that kind of wisdom. Often the authors of the Bible use the Hebrew word for wisdom to describe people, like I said, who have, who have certain skills in a particular trade or craft. It could be like metalwork or, or woodworking or, or, or embroidery or weaving or whatever the case may be. But they have certain skills. They have certain abilities. This same word is used for people who have particular skills in leadership. So they're, they're, they're strong leaders or, or, or trading. So given the background of the word wisdom, I want to look at Proverbs chapter 3 right now, verses 19 and 20. It says this, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge the deeps were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. These two verses represent many verses in Proverbs that describe the relationship between God's creation and wisdom. This relationship between God's creation and wisdom. The author uses construction language to picture God as an architect and wisdom as the builder. So God then being the architect and wisdom being God's builder. God, the great architect, has laid out for us, designed the blueprint for the entire universe. And then wisdom builds off of that blueprint. Okay, so we have God, the architect, wisdom, the builder. Now, if you women are feeling a little bit slighted by all this construction talk and you're feeling, oh, this is a masculine kind of construction talk. The book of Proverbs actually, actually personifies wisdom as a woman. Okay, so just, you know, that make you feel better now. Now we're all back at equal ground. Personifies wisdom as a woman. In fact, all if you look at all of chapter eight, all of chapter eight. It's a poem about uh, Lady Wisdom. Now, I'm not saying, we're not saying in this, in this, te- in this context that the wisdom is an actual person. It's not, we're not talking about an actual person. We do the same thing when we personify luck as Lady Luck. You know, you know so it's a personification. Because the, the, since the Hebrew word, in, 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 since the word in Hebrew is a feminine noun, Proverbs personifies wisdom as a woman. All right, so we have that female side. Lady Wisdom is, is the one who puts God's creative blueprint for the world together. So God, the, the idea of God's creation and wisdom are inter, interlocked. God is the architect. Lady Wisdom is the builder, puts, puts all the what God's architecture and the blueprint, puts it all together. And we men just kind of live here. Okay, just kind of lay it out that way, theologically. All right. Because God used wisdom to lay the the earth's foundation, the world around us bears uh, wisdom's imprint. Because God used wisdom to create the world around us, it bears the fingerprints, okay? The fingerprints, wisdom's fingerprints. If you think about it, all we really need to do is is, is kind of look around. When you go out today, look around outside. All you really need to do is, is, is look at creation and you will understand God's wisdom. 
Just look at creation, see how God has put it together, and you'll begin, you'll begin to understand God's wisdom. Let me share an analogy that may help you out a little bit if you're kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of getting it, but I'm, I'm a little confused. Our family loves to go to Disney World. Matter of fact, when I went to, when I went to Mexico, because of my last trip to Nigeria, we had Sky Miles, and, and because of the 10th anniversary, you guys gave us uh, a, a Disney pass for all the different Disney parks and everything. Deb and Josh went to Disney World, okay? So while I'm slaving, listen, I was slaving away, and it was 98 degrees. I was serving Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It was, you know, I was, <laughs> you know, it was really hard. And my wife and my son went to Disney World. You know, well, I'm going to go to Disney. So they were in Disney World, which is a great place to be. I actually think Walt Disney was probably one of the greatest visionaries in, in history. Now, I'm not talking about his theology. I don't, I'm not an expert on Walt Disney. I just I know I've read a lot about his, his vision, putting things together. Incredible visionary of his time. And he died, I think, way too early. As the architects were designing Disney World, they were kind of laying it all out. They designed and built in hidden Mickey ears all over the different rides and attractions. Right? Anybody know that? Everybody know that? If you go to Disney World now, now, you, now you'll know. There are hidden Mickey ears everywhere. It, it was a way for the designers to put Walt Disney's fingerprint on his vision and on his creation. It was their way of, of showing that this was, this was Disney's vision. This was Disney's creation. And if you don't know about the hidden Mickey ears before you get there, sometimes it's easy to overlook them. But if you know they're there and you start looking for them, you start to see them everywhere. You start to see these Mickey ears. I mean, I think you start seeing things that even aren't Mickey ears. You know, you start, well, you know. <laughs> and we, do, we, we turn into like a family game. Who can find the, you know, the most Mickey ears in hidden places? Deb usually wins, but a lot of hers are suspect, okay? A lot of her Mickey ear sightings are suspect. Like she'll see two little beetles walking together and she'll be like, there's one. I'm like, that's not... You know, I know the two little beetles. That's not Mickey ears or the clouds or whatever. So some of hers are suspect. I'm not bitter about it. I'm just saying I never I never seemed to win that one. Like like those hidden Mickey ears in, in, in Disney World, all of God's creation has within it the fingerprints of God's wisdom. If you start looking around, you start to see that. You, you, I, here, let me try to put it a different way. Once you know that, once now that I've told you that, you start looking. Start looking around. You start to see God's wisdom s- simply by looking at the world around you. The design of creation. Okay? The way that creation is designed. The laws of nature. The gifts, and if we're looking at the Hebrew way, the gifts and the abilities of, of, the, of, the, cre- of the created I don't know about you, and, and maybe you think I'm a little nutty, but this, I, I'm sorry, I worship God when I see someone do something incredible. I, I worship God when I look at incredible art, when I see someone doing, an artist doing something with their art. That's why we have artists come up here sometimes and, and paint. The only way to worship is not through music, it's through art. I mean, God gives his wisdom, his abilities to all these. And I worship God. I see the wisdom of God. I see wisdom in, in a great athlete. When I see a great athlete, I worship. That's why I watch so much football. I worship God. <laughs> Do you see me, guys? I'm helping you here. What are you doing in there? I'm, oh, just raise your hands. You know what I'm saying? Every time now you raise your hands to be like, you know, you, it doesn't mean, you know, you know, it means just praising the Lord. You know what I'm saying? That's why they call it touchdown Jesus. You know what I'm saying? 
Notre Dame, if you're a Notre Dame fan, they have that. Okay? I worship God when I watch someone do something great. I I worship God when I hear a great singer, a great musician. I can see God's fingerprints on all of it. Listening to music, dance. I love, I, I, I got tricked into going to a ballet one time. And, uh, I, th- you know, I, I thought it was a play and, and it was, it ended up being a, it was kind of a play, but it was a ballet. I loved it to see the beauty of what they were doing. It was incredible to watch. I was worshiping, watching the giftedness of those ballerinas and the, they, they just lifted them up and they would put them down. And just, it was like floating in air. I was worshiping God. If you start to look, you start to see, you see, the, you see wisdom's fingerprints on all of it. I think we miss out sometimes. Oh, let's go to a worship service. And then we just work. No, you can see God's fingerprints, his wisdom as he builds the foundation of the earth and his wisdom. You see it everywhere around you. We just miss out. Listen, I'm going to I'm going to read you something. I'm going to put it up here. I want you to write this down. Wisdom in the Bible is the art of skillful living by understanding and living within the order of creation. Okay? Wisdom in the Bible is the art of skillful living by understanding and living within the order of creation. If you get to it, so leave it up there just for a second longer. I just want you, if you have a pen, you write that down. Or if you just get the, the CD afterwards and you get to this part, you know, write this down. Because it'll help you as we go through this whole book. It'll help you understand. And throw, throw the next one up there. Wise living is discerning the structure and order that God built into the world and then living out, living our lives in harmony with that order and structure. I'm going to read you something from uh, from Proverbs uh, chapter 16 in verse 23 and 24. It says a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones a wise person who understands wisdom and understands how to live in harmony with the order and structure that God has laid before us in creation. You understand how it all works together. A wise person knows how to use their words to bring healing and encouragement. A fool knows how to use their words to bring destruction and harm to other people, to put them down, to give them, to leave them with baggage when they're children. A fool doesn't use their words in a way that builds up, but tears down. A wise person, though, it says, listen, it says, a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And we're talking about, you know, living in harmony with the order and structure. In other words, it's trying to live with the grain and not against it. See, some of you are struggling here this morning because you're trying to live against the grain. God created the world. Simple as that. Didn't come about by whatever they say on the Discovery Channel and crash into this and all that kind of, you know, God created all things. God created the world. There's an order and structure to the way God created all things. And if you go against the grain, you get yourself in trouble. If you go against the grain of God's wisdom, you get yourself in trouble. You say things like, I'm going to do things. I'm going to do things my way. Okay. 
You're acting on your emotions, for example, when you're in, in, in relationships with other people. When something, when in relationship with someone else, whether it's your parents or your boss or, or your friends or, who, or your spouse, whatever else, you're, you're acting upon your emotions instead of acting on the wisdom that God has given to us. And that has a profound effect on our lives. You're going to run your business your way. You're going to find success your way. You're going to raise your children your way. You're going to spend money your way. You're going to pick relationships your way. And then you wonder sometimes, why aren't things working out? Proverbs chapter 1, verses 29 through 32, has a warning for those people who choose to live that way, who say, you know what, I, I know there's an order to the world. I know that God's wisdom is permeated all things. I should go with the grain of how God created the world, because if I try to go against the grain, things don't work out. Proverbs agrees with you. Here's what it says. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat of the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. After 27 years of ministry, I've actually learned something. Okay, here's what I've learned. People most often choose the path that they're on. People most often choose the path that they're on. John, John Maxwell wrote this. Everything you now do is something you have chosen to do. Some people don't want to believe that. But if you're over age 21, your life is what you're making of it. To change your life, you need to change your priorities. People will come to, to people who are more spiritually mature than they are many times and ask for advice. And they'll, and they'll get it. And they'll come and they'll, they'll, they'll read their Bible and they'll, and they'll get advice from the Bible. And then basically, many times, they will do what feels good to them. The bottom line is, at the end of the day, after all, they, all the wisdom they've gotten, uh, should I marry this person? The mature person you just talked to said, no, you really shouldn't. They point out reasons why, biblical. The Bible says, don't be unequally yoked and everything. But you know what? It, you know what, though? The Bible said that, and the wisdom all around me said that, and I've seen other people who tried it and everything, but it just feels right. It just feels good. And if people choose to do what feels good or just kind of what feels right to them, people walk face first, my friends, right into trouble, and then they complain about their circumstances and situations. They blame everyone else. They're blaming everyone else around them, okay, including God, but they're not blaming themselves. Ever heard someone say this? Why is God letting this happen to me? Why is God doing this to me? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's replay the tape and see how you got here. Right? Let's just, let's just play the tape back and see how you actually got in this situation and before you start shaking your fist, how could God let this happen to me? Some people are, are, are dealt a difficult hand. Absolutely. I'm not saying God did it. I'm just saying they, as a child, their, their upbringing, the people that were around them were just not too good folks and everything. They're not too whatever. And it, they were dealt a difficult hand. You know, but other people and a lot of other people, choose the cards that they're holding. If you choose the cards that you're holding, don't blame the dealer. Don't blame the person. Don't, don't blame someone else. If, if you're holding cards that you put in your own hand, don't turn around then and blame the cards that you have because you chose them. See, people don't use the word, and we're going to talk about this for months here, people don't use discernment. 
They don't, use, they don't even know how to, how to discern. So they don't use discernment. People don't, don't get, gain God's understanding. People don't look to God for wisdom. And then these things go on, and, you know, and, and you wonder why. Listen, if you, if, if, if you can't live your life according to your own rules and then wonder why something is not working out. Why is it happening to me? You can't just choose to do what you want to do, go against the grain, don't follow the word of God, don't listen to other, other people's advice from godly people, and then ask yourself the question, how, why has this turned out the way it has? God's like, don't put your hand on the stove. Why not? Burned. Right? Don't, 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 uh, don't get into that relationship. Why not? Burned. Oh, my goodness. Don't, 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 don't go to that party. You know, you're in your heart, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. You know that certain people are going to be there. You know what's happened last time they happened and cops came, whatever else. Don't go to that party. Oh, why not? And you get burned. You get burned and burned and burned over and over and over again. Most people know what to do. They know what the, the best is. They know that they should or should not do a certain thing. And they choose not to do, not to follow. And so they keep getting burned. They know what's right. They choose not to do what's right. And so they keep getting burned. And then wonder, my goodness, why does God... I actually... This is, a, this is true. Switch things around a little bit, but this is a true story. When I was a youth pastor, there was a, a young girl. She would, she would come... We were her youth pastors, Deb and I... And uh, and she would uh, come to us. She came to us a couple of times. She had gotten pregnant a couple of times. And she said, you know, I don't understand why this keeps happening. <laughs> you know, I don't say why. And she she actually said that, see, I think the reason it keeps happening is that God thinks that I can handle it. God thinks God somehow allows her to keep getting pregnant because God thinks that she can handle it. So I said to her, when a man and a woman come together. Okay, gave her. I mean, she was actually blaming. She was confused and blaming God for somehow allowing her to go through this. It's just sometimes you think. Step back. Use the word of God. Listen to the wisdom of others who know the word of God. Make decisions with the grain, not against it. The reason we get ourselves into trouble so often is that we're not using the wisdom, the discernment the understanding, the knowledge that God has given to us. And it's all around us. Once we understand that God laid the foundation of this world by his wisdom, by wisdom he laid the foundation, by knowledge, understanding, God laid the foundation. Once we know that, we can see it all around us. We can begin to say, I need to live, start living with the grain, not against it. Going with God's word, not against it. Following God's instruction, not going against it. If we walk in the light, he will guide our paths. If we walk with him, he will guide us to places. I mean, yes, we're going to have struggles. Yes, we're going to go through rain. Yes, it's going to be difficult sometimes. But even in the difficulties, as we walk with God, God can turn those things around. God can bring beauty out of the ashes. But we need to start living in such a way that we're not saying, well, it feels good to me. Well, that's, you know, I just feel like people will say, well, I just feel like I'm being led. How do you know? Are, is, is it instruction from the word of God or just something you feel? I appreciate feelings. I have intense feelings. OK, I'm an intense feeler. I understand that. But there came a point in my Christian life and it was early on 
where I realized my feelings are good. They're nice to have, but they shouldn't guide me in all of my decisions. How do you make decisions? Well, I just go by my gut. I go by how I just go by how I feel. Almost like that's somehow God. No. What we need to do is if our feelings are matching up to his word, if our feelings are matching up to his wisdom, if our feelings are matching up to his guidance, if our feelings are matching up to his truth, then follow your feelings. Follow your emotions if they're matching up to what God has for you. But if not, my friends, you have to step back and, 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 and don't ask yourself, why am I in this situation? Because you know the answer. You're in the situation that you're in sometimes because you've put yourself there. You've chosen to be there. It was your choice. You walked against the grain. You went outside of God's, God's protection, in a sense, and you chose it for yourself. Now, anything that we choose to do in our past or even in our future, God can forgive us. But my encouragement to you this morning is go with the grain of what God has called us to do and be. Allow yourself, allow yourself the freedom not to have to do it your way all the time, not to have to, you know, completely be in control all the time, but allowing yourself to be carried along as God guides and directs you with his knowledge and his wisdom and his understanding. We're going to have a really good time this, this from now all the way through the summer in this study. Very practical, very practical. But this morning, here's what I'd like you to do. Next week, I want to talk to you about how to gain biblical wisdom. Because you say, well, how do, I, how do I get to that point? Okay, you're telling me this is what I should do, but how do I get to that point? We'll get even more practical on how you gain wisdom. How do I gain that wisdom and understanding? But for now, think of wisdom as life skills that come from understanding how God created the world around us. Just think of wisdom that way. Okay, think of wisdom that way. Because if we don't, if, if we continue to walk down the path we're walking and we don't accept God's guidance and wisdom, we're going to keep getting burned. That's the end of that story. I don't want to see you get burned. I don't want to get burned. We together as the body of Christ need to come around each other, encourage each other, support each other, do what we need to do to give the wisdom that God has given to us to others, pour into other people what God has shown you. But we need to start, we need to take off the lenses that we, are, we have on now of the world. Just if you could close your eyes, okay? Here's what we're doing. Close your eyes. You are now taking off the lenses that you've been looking through for a very long time. And if I can say it this way, put on those lenses and start to see those Mickey ears, those hidden Mickey ears that you've kind of overlooked. You say, God, show me, guide me, direct me. He will. His fingerprints, his fingerprints are on his creation. His wisdom, his fingerprints are on all of creation. Go with the grain. Put on the glasses. See through God's lenses. And he will guide and direct you to what's right and to what's true. Father, thank you so much for the time we can spend together. And we pray, dear God, that you would just bless us as we go through this study, that you would open up our hearts, open up our minds. Lord God, let us lay aside the way we've been living and live according to your will and according to your purpose and your wisdom. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. We'll see you back here, if you'd like, on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday at 630. Talk about some of the things we're doing here, some of the things in Mexico, and also just going over this again.